So from the time I was born until about the middle of ninth grade, I went to a very small Presbyterian church in Whippany, New Jersey. In the one service that we would have on Sunday mornings, we probably never had more than 80 people um, in, in the sanctuary. That meant also for Sunday school, we had very small classes. Most of our classes were made up of multiple grades and probably didn't have more than six people, more than six kids in each class. And so because the church was small, most of the congregation was involved in volunteering in some way. I had Sunday school taught to me predominantly by people with white hair. And I still remember these people very fondly even today because they loved God and they loved me. And that was evident. And because that was evident, I really enjoyed going to church most of the time anyway. Now during our worship service, except for the smallest of babies, everyone was in the sanctuary. Now, when I was younger, I was allowed to draw during the sermons, so I have to admit, I didn't always pay attention to what was going on. I wasn't always dialed in to the sermon. But one thing I did pay attention to every single week was the Apostles' Creed, because we said it, and I had it memorized from the time I was pretty young, and I could say it with confidence. We said it each week, I knew the words, but there were some parts of it that I just didn't get or didn't understand very well. And so I would say it and breeze on through the next, onto the next phrase. And the communion of saints is one of those phrases that I just didn't get. And I jumped on to the forgiveness of sins, which seemed much more important for me based on the trouble I probably had gotten in that morning or would be getting into later in the day. It wasn't until much later though in my life that I understood the communion of saints even just a little bit more. Now today we have the opportunity to look more closely at that phrase and what it means for us as believers or people even who are checking out Christianity. And if you're like me, you haven't really understood this phrase and what it means as much as some of the other phrases. And so as we say, I believe in the communion of saints, one thing we do is we make a statement that helps us see who we are and what to do in light of that. Now, all of us are part of at least one group, and probably many of us are parts of many groups because we've been created to be in community and we have a desire to have this, this need met. So we find groups, we seek groups out. And a lot of times these groups, they're based around common interests, common passions, things like that. Other times we're in groups out of necessity or circumstances. Now these groups, while they do fill our need for community, they also shape us and form us through the people in the group that, are, that we interact with. We're shaped and formed by the beliefs of the group, the norms of the group, the patterns of the group. One of the groups I'm part of is a worldwide group. It's a group known as New York Yankees fans. Now through belonging to this group, God has shaped my life in great ways and not just because I root for the best baseball team in history. In fact, I've been shaped by God through that group by one of my closest friends in Richmond. He and I met about 13 years ago at my future wife's house. I didn't realize that at the time, but that's how it played out. And he and I connected over our love for the Yankees and a friendship formed. Now today, our friendship is not just based around our love for baseball. He's also my accountability partner because we are both Christians, we're both in ministry, we both have a desire to grow spiritually, to know Jesus more, to follow him more closely and be made more into his image. 
Now, this desire that brought us into this accountability relationship had nothing to do with our other points of interest. And it had everything to do with the connection that each of us had through Jesus Christ. Now, in part, the communion of saints then shows us who we are in this way. We are part of a greater body of believers. Because we are Christians, we are all connected to one another. We're united to each other by God's love for us and our love for God. We're connected and united to one another by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're connected and related to one another through our life together in the Holy Spirit. These things bring about our communion. And I realize communion isn't really a word we use a whole lot anymore. But simply put, a communion is a common union. When you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. And this word union, it carries a connotation of deeper connection than just similar interest. There's a reason marriages are called unions. A marriage is much more than just two people being roommates and having common interests. There's a deep and enduring connection and relationship that's being shaped and formed within a marriage. And if we look at couples who are happily married for quite some time, they have been changed by the relationship with their spouse. And not just, they're not who they once were, and hopefully they're more like Jesus because of God's work in their marriage. So if, as Christians, we have communion with one another because of our common faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is true for our relationship with all Christians, not just those that we know through our immediate community who happen to worship together when we're able to. And in our coronavirus era, we're all worshiping physically apart from one another. We're worshiping in different states and even different countries. But the communion of saints enables us to still worship together. We're connected to each other by faith. And this isn't only true for just the global Christians. This is true for Christians from all time. We have communion with Christians who have passed away and are now fully in the presence of God. I have communion with George and Virginia Christian, two of the white-haired Sunday school teachers from my first church who passed away years ago. And I realize this can sound a little odd, can sound a little strange, but in Hebrews chapter 12, the author says this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The cloud of witnesses are those people who have gone before us, who have run the race and whose stories are examples and encouragements to us right now. And we're connected to them we have communion with them because all Christians have been called, as our scripture tells us, to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. All Christians from all time have communion with one another. And communion then means we see who we are as part of a deep and enduring relationship with saints in heaven and saints on earth. And that's who we are as well. We are saints. But what is a saint exactly? Well, it's not just Christians who have passed away. It's not just Christians who have been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. It's not 
a Christian who has reached some higher level of spiritual maturity than other people, although I do hope that all of those people are saints, those things are not requirements to be a saint. A saint is simply one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. So again, all Christians are saints. And a saint is someone who is holy. Now, I have to admit that this actually makes me a little uncomfortable to think that, that I'm holy. And maybe it makes you a little bit uncomfortable as well because you know me and you know that I don't live a holy life or don't appear to much of the time. And maybe you feel that way about yourself as well. But no matter what you've done or what you haven't done, no matter what we've done or haven't done, no matter how we've fallen short of the glory of God, if we're Christians, we are holy. And this is true not because of good things that we've done or that we've earned a holy standing before God. We're holy because God is holy, because a holy God has called us. Our holiness has nothing to do with ourselves and everything to do with Jesus Christ. To be holy simply means to be set apart by God, to be different from those things around us. And that does include in the things that we think, say, and do. We are set apart. God has chosen us as his own and has set us apart to show his holiness and glory to the world. So that's who we are. We are holy people. And we can be holy in the same way that the moon can be bright. If you think about it, the moon has no light-producing elements in itself. It's only bright because it reflects the light of the sun. And the same is true for Christians. We reflect the holiness of Jesus and that sets us apart from the rest of the world. But this isn't in a condescending or judgmental way. It's in a way that shines light into darkness. We're set apart so that God can have his light shine in us and through us. And so that the world can see him at work in and through our communion. Now this all sounds great, that we can live this way, that we're saints called into community for renewal and regeneration of ourselves and of our world, but our reality doesn't show this. If we're honest with the way that we live and the way that we live as a community of believers, it's not really like that. And that's true because our communion, while it's made up of people set apart by God, is still made up of sinners. We're sinners with our sinful nature still at work within us. And so we bring our brokenness to bear on one another here and all over our communion. As I drove down Forest Avenue here this morning, I passed three different church buildings, including ours. And if I went a little bit farther down the road, I would have passed a fourth church building. And so in just over a mile and a half of road, we have four different church buildings representing four different denominations. Now, I don't want to get into what defines a, the true church and why different denominations exist, and I don't want to oversimplify those things either. We don't have time for that. But it is easy, as I look at these different churches, it's easy for me to look at each one of them and think about why I prefer what we do and how we do it compared to what they do. Instead of focusing on the unity that we have by the Holy Spirit, I find myself thinking that we at third are better than just about every church out there. And that's clearly a sign of pride within me. 
Pride's there when we focus on the differences in between true churches and think about why we're better than others. And when pride creeps in, and it does so subtly and easily, it threatens the unity of the communion of saints. I think another reason our communion doesn't look like God intended for it to look is that we've adopted, again, probably unknowingly, an outlook on life that we could call hyper-individualism. It's in the metaphorical air that we breathe. We've been slowly influenced by this in ways so subtle, we don't even know it. And because we have, we act thinking of ourselves first with little or no regard for society at large because I am more important than anything else. We've adopted it even into the mindsets and practices among, in the church. We tend to emphasize individual salvation over other important and even essential things that the church has been called to be and do. I mean, compare these two statements. I believe, therefore, I am saved with, we believe, therefore, we are God's people. Both are good, both are important. But over the past few decades, we have emphasized the individual over the communal, and we need both. Our cultural emphasis on individualism challenges and even fights against the communion of saints. And a question that we need to wrestle with, that you need to wrestle with, is how do you view the church? Is it there for you to be, have your spiritual needs met? Is it there mostly for you? Or are you there because you're part of something bigger that God is doing, bigger than yourself, and God is using you to bless others through what's going on in his church. Now, as individuals, we do need to respond to the gospel, to grow in obedience and holiness. We need to be held accountable for our actions. But the community of the church should not be sacrificed for the sake of the individual, nor should the community be emphasized at the cost of the individual. Both are important and necessary. African theologian John Mbiddy puts it like this, I am because we are. Since we are, therefore I am. Our communion shapes who we are and who we are shapes our communion. And as Christians, we're shaped by God working through the Holy Spirit. And we can find great joy and great comfort and encouragement in this but we do need to be aware of the individualism that's crept into our worldview and mindset. As individuals, we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the church he's lived for, he's died for, he's risen for, and he has called you to be a part of that. As a Christian, you are part of the communion of saints. But what do we do in response to that? What does it look like to live out the truth that we are part of the communion of saints? Well, our scripture that Basola read for us today gives us insight into that. The Apostle Paul simply says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And our calling in part is a calling into communion of believers. So as individuals, our lives should demonstrate a worthy life. And together as the church, we should live a worthy life. But what is a worthy life? That's the question we would like to have answered. And we get a glimpse of it in verses two and three where Paul says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
All these things have to do with looking to others before ourselves, taking our eyes and actions off of me and looking out for others. And as we do this as a communion, as we live this way, we're made more into the image of Jesus as individuals and as a community by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do this because this is how Jesus is towards us. He put our best interest, which was to be right in a right relationship with our heavenly father above his own interest. And Paul again talks about this in Philippians 2 when he says about Jesus that he was found in human appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because Jesus did this and by the power of his spirit, we're made right with God and have a unity with all believers. It's a unity that we didn't create, but we're to protect it because there are threats against it, as we've mentioned earlier. But as we live with humility and gentleness, patience and with a spirit of bearing with each other in love, we take steps to maintain this unity. And I love how the second half of the answer, the Heidelberg Catechism question we asked or answered earlier states this. We maintain the unity of the spirit in part by using our gifts for the benefit of others. And this is true spiritually and materially. Those with greater spiritual maturity can walk alongside with those who are not as mature. And those with greater wealth can help those who are in need. Those who have more life experience can share their wisdom with those who are looking for wisdom, who need wisdom. You might want to write down some of your stories, those of our saints who are more wise because of all their years. Those who are gifted with being more physically able to do things than others can help those who aren't as able, even through something as simple as mowing an older person's yard. In all these things, and these are just a very few things, we live out a visible expression of the invisible reality that all Christians are united because of Jesus Christ. And as we live this way, we live in hope, knowing God's at work within us, renewing and rebuilding all Christians, including you and me from within. When we say, I believe in the communion of saints, we're professing that we're part of a long line of saints who have gone before us and who are with us now. We're stating that we are a holy people set apart by God to be his body, joining with him in what he's doing now. So may we live this way, being completely humble and gentle, being patient and bearing with one another in love. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for the unity that we have with one another because of you. Lord God, help us to live in the reality of that unity, of that communion, that it would be the visible expression of the invisible reality. God, thank you for the power that you have given us to do this. Help us not to look just to ourselves, but to look to those around us, that your communion would be evident in all that we say, think, and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.